This is the third Sunday of Advent, and it is the Sunday of joy. So let's all put joy on our faces. One, two, three. Hey, all right. Let's all try. Okay, one, two, three. We're all going to yay. Thank you, Charlie. One, two, three. Yay. Hey, there's the joy. All right. So we started our Advent journey two weeks ago um, in the week of hope. And if you remember, Matthew's gospel, um, we, we ended on a cliffhanger in that first week because his gospel gave us the genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Abraham. Or rather, it didn't, not necessarily the genealogy of Jesus, right? It gave us the genealogy of Joseph. And then after all those father of, father of, father of, father of, we learned Joseph married the mother of Jesus, Mary. Mary, who was a nobody, who became somebody through Jesus. But Joseph, this was our cliffhanger, if Joseph wasn't the father, who was the father of Jesus? That was our cliffhanger question. Last week we got our answer, we jumped over to the Gospel of Luke, and we heard that when the angel Gabriel came to visit Mary, he told her that the Holy Spirit would come upon her, and that she would give birth to the Son of the Most High, the Son of God. And we learn that nothing is impossible for Jesus' Father. Nothing is impossible for God, our Father. Now this week we're going to go back to Matthew's Gospel, and we're going to get another answer to that question, who was Jesus' Father? And just like we saw in Luke, this answer, the story this week, involves a choice. Only in this case, it's not Mary, but Joseph, who will make a life-changing, earth-shattering, world-altering choice. And so this today is the Gospel of Matthew. It's chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And this is what we read. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. When Mary, his mother, was engaged to Joseph, before they were married, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Because he didn't want to humiliate her, he decided to call off their engagement quietly. As he was thinking about this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son you will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And now all of this took place so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means what? God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did just as the angel from God commanded and he took Mary as his wife. But he didn't know her until she gave birth to a son. Joseph called him Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you. We praise you, and we look to you, just as you came to Joseph so many years ago, brought direction and a word of hope and of joy. You shaped his future, Lord. Shape us. Shape our future. Bring us words today, words to give us hope and encouragement, 
words to open to us a life filled with joy. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So if you've been around here the last few weeks, you know that one of the questions we're going to be asking this next year as we travel through the Gospel of Matthew this year, we're going to ask, what did Jesus do? Remember, we're not, well, this isn't a bumper sticker talk, right? This isn't what would Jesus do. This isn't what would Jesus do in this situation or this situation. No, this is what does Scripture actually say Jesus did. That's the kind of conversations we're going to be having over the next year. And in today's Scripture reading, we learn what Jesus did was he messed Joseph's life up, something fierce. And, and he wasn't even born yet, and he messed it. That's pretty impressive if you ask me. It's right there in the first verse of our reading. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. When Mary, his mother, was engaged to Joseph, before they were married, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now you have to think, up until this point, Joseph has lived pretty much like the model Judean life. Like it's been moving along like it's supposed to. He's doing all right. He's a typical Judean dude. He's got a trade, right? He's got this lifetime occupation. What does he do? He's a carpenter, right? And because he's old enough to be established and he has a means to establish himself, his parents, if they were still living, they would have connected with Mary's parents and they would have arranged to facilitate this marriage between Joseph and Mary. Now, if Joseph's father had died by this point, which was likely the life expectancy was much lower at the time, then Joseph might have arranged this marriage himself with Mary's parents. Mary would have had no say in the matter. But given the society of the time, she was in good shape, right? She's probably in her early teens, about 10 years younger than Joseph, and she's been promised to someone who has promised to provide for her. Our translation says that she was engaged to Joseph. But that doesn't quite tell the whole story. That's kind of the closest word we have in, in English, engaged. Because in today's society, engagement, it's kind of an easy thing to undo. Anyone know, here know somebody who has undone an engagement? Didn't make it to the finish? Right. And depending on how, like, how many of your, your registry gifts have been purchased or how many non-refundable down payments you've made on venues, it can be easier or more difficult to undo but in Joseph's day, engagements had nothing to do with venues and everything to do with contracts between two households. Ending an engagement, kedushin in Hebrew, actually required a legal process to undo this promise to marry. It wasn't about venues, it wasn't about love, it was about land, and it was about money, and it was about providing heirs. Couples would typically stay engaged in this state of not quite married. They're still considered husband and wife, but they're not living together. They're living still with their families for almost a year before the marriage ceremony, and they would come together. The husband would bring the wife to his home. And that's actually the Greek word here that says they were before they were married. It's actually in Greek. It says before they came together, before they joined together under the same roof in the same house. This was typical, so things are moving right on target for Joseph, right on schedule. The only thing left was for Mary to move in with him and for them to come together as a family. 
but somewhere between becoming engaged and coming together, things went south. Because that's when Jesus messed up Joseph's by-the-numbers first-century Jewish life. That's when Mary became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I almost asked you what you would do if you were contractually obligated to marry someone and that you learned that that someone was pregnant by someone, not you. Like, what would you do? Would you believe it if that person said, no, no, I'm, I'm, honestly, it was the Holy Spirit. It was really, it was the Holy Spirit. But I can't ask that question because we're not talking about wouldas and couldas. Would is not a word for this year. Did. What did happen? We're sticking to what Jesus and his friends and his family did. And so here are the things, a couple of options that Joseph had upon learning that his wife was pregnant by somebody, not him. He could have, one, stayed with this unfaithful woman and borne the shame that she caused him and his family because people would know it wasn't his kid, right? They had math in Joseph's day. (laughs) Two, He could have cited Deuteronomy 22 and had her and the father of her child stoned to death at the city gates. That was his legal right. Or three, he could have divorced her quietly and just moved on and found a new wife. Now, if you think about it in his day, number one is the hard choice, especially in a culture with a high premium on honor and shame to stay in that relationship wouldn't just bring shame on Joseph, it would bring shame on his whole family. Number two, he could cite Deuteronomy 22, right? That's the legal choice, the one that fulfills the law of Moses. This is what the law of Moses said he should do. And number three, though, is the righteous choice. It's not the letter of the law, but it's in keeping with the spirit of a God who seeks love and reconciliation, restoration in all things. So which option does Joseph choose? One, two, or three? Three, right. He chooses option three. Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, we read. Because he didn't want to humiliate her, he decided to call off the engagement quietly. Joseph was righteous. He makes their relationship right by walking away quietly and not humiliating her. And I don't know about you, but I've always had it in my head that Joseph was righteous, considered righteous, because he stayed with Mary. But that's not what Matthew says. Matthew says Joseph is considered righteous because he walked away quietly from Mary. He did the righteous thing, even if he didn't follow the letter of the law. Joseph's decision to leave was a symbol of that righteousness. Even so, it clearly troubled Joseph's heart, and he was still thinking on this, pondering on the things that had just messed up his life, when in a dream, Gabriel shows up and messes it up even more. This is not the first time, by the way, that a Joseph in the Bible will have his life turned upside down in a God dream. Joseph, we read, son of David, Gabriel says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. 
That phrase again we heard last week. Did y'all hear it? Don't be what? Afraid. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. She wasn't making excuses. She wasn't making things up. This child really was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son. And Joseph, you will name him what? Jesus. Jesus, which means God saves. He will be the Messiah, the Savior. And so here's Joseph facing another choice. Like he's already made one difficult choice, and now he has to make it all over again. One, does he take Mary as his wife, stay with her, even though the rest of the math-capable world might not believe the whole Holy Spirit thing, even though the rest of the math-capable world will still look on them with unjustifiable shame. Or two, does he continue with this quiet divorce and ignore the command of an angel of the Lord, which I don't think usually ends well if you ignore the command of an angel of the Lord. So what does Joseph do with his second option, opportunity to make a choice? He stays. He marries Mary, and he doesn't do anything that might remotely give the appearance that he could be the biological father of her child, right? He doesn't do anything that might give someone the thought that, oh, no, that's really his biological child. No. When Joseph woke up, he did just as an angel from God commanded. He took Mary as his wife, but he didn't know her until she gave birth to a son, and Joseph called him what? Jesus. Jesus. Joseph names the child Jesus, and in naming the boy, he makes another choice. In naming that boy, he chooses to become his earthly father. Joseph, who married Mary, the mother of Jesus, chooses to answer this question, who was Jesus' father? Joseph chose to be Jesus' father. That's what Joseph did. He did the righteous thing. And I'm sure for him, it turned out to be a pretty joyful thing. I mean, by all accounts, Jesus turned out all right. Uh, he was a good kid. He was a good guy. Like, he was blowing the rabbi's minds with his knowledge. We hear that. And when he went to the temple with his mom and dad, he was blowing the temple priests' minds. Like, he was getting all the Sunday school stickers. And you got to think that Joseph beamed with joy just a little bit over his kid, this child that he adopted into his family. That's what Joseph did. And so what did Jesus do? Well, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and Christ's presence invited Joseph to be a part of the salvation history of all of creation. I mean, it's right there in the names that we read in Matthew, right? Jesus, it means God saves. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus actually, in Hebrew, Jesus' name was Joshua. It's just through the, the curiosity, the history of translations, Joshua in Greek becomes Jesus, which becomes to us Jesus. But Joshua in Hebrew comes from Yeshua, or Yahweh saves. Yehoshua, Yahweh saves. God saves. And God is, Jesus is the one who will save us, not just 
from our sins, not just from me who stole the cookie from the cookie jars, not just that. He saves us from all the sin, this corporate sin of the world over throughout time. Not just you and me, but all of humanity. Because the whole reason we need a Savior goes all the way back to the first book of the Old Testament. Let's get our stickers for the day in Sunday school. What's the first book of the Old Testament? Genesis, right? Genesis. And it's like Matthew wants to make sure that we're thinking about Genesis when he writes this account of Jesus' birth. It's like he wants to make sure that we have in mind the whole story that came before. Because he uses the Greek name for the book of Genesis twice in this opening chapter. I didn't tell you this two weeks ago, but when we read the genealogy of Jesus, it didn't actually say genealogy in Greek. It said this is a record of the what? Genesis of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. We translate it as genealogy because it looks like a genealogy, but to Matthew, it was the Genesis, the beginning of Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. And in today's scripture, we read this is how the story of, this is how Jesus' birth took place. It didn't say Jesus' birth. It actually said in Greek, this is how the what? Genesis of Jesus Christ took place, came about. So when we hear the word then that this Jesus Christ, who we're reading about his genesis, is going to save the world from sin, it's not just in the context of now, it's in the context of everything back to what? Genesis. And that genealogy that we just heard of all those people that, let's be honest, sinned a little bit. Some of them sinned a lot bit, right? Some, some of them almost sinned as much as we have, right? And so when we hear that Jesus saves us from our sin... He saves us from all of that, all the things that we've gotten wrong as God's people since we first ate that apple. Jesus has come. God saves. And the beauty of this scripture, the beauty of what Jesus does, what Christ did, is that he gave Joseph the opportunity to be a part of that. Joseph had the opportunity to choose to be a part of that salvation, to choose to raise up the Messiah, to choose to name the one whose name holds within it the power to heal and to save Jesus. Like he got to be the one who first breathed that word over the Messiah, Jesus, God saves And Matthew tells us he also got to be a part of the fulfillment of prophecy. He tells us that the birth of Jesus to Mary And to Joseph happened the way it did in order to fulfill the words of the prophet Isaiah. Look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. What's in a name, right? God with us. Not God without us, which God could do it without us. But God has chosen to do it what? With us. Not God in spite of us, but God with us. Not God against us, but God with us. So what did Jesus do? What did he do in the scripture? He invited Joseph to join him in bringing about the salvation of all creation. Joseph was given a choice to be with God, the one who is with us to do with God, to work 
with God to save the world. That's what Jesus did. He gave Joseph a choice. And Joseph chose who? God. Joseph chose Jesus. Which leads us to one more question. Anybody know what our last question is? Look upside down. What will I do? Now that you've heard this story, what will you do? Because just like Mary, just like Joseph had a choice, we all have a choice. That's the beauty of this story, that Jesus, God's salvation, invites all of us, every one of us, every day we are invited to be a part of God's salvation history, to be a part of the one whose name means God, what? Saves. We have, all of us, the opportunity to work for the restoration of all creation. Jesus chose to work with us, God with us. We have the opportunity to choose the same, to work with God. I mean, by the way, God with us, those were Jesus' final words in Matthew's gospel, like it's a bookend in a way, right? He says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, right? He's saying, go and do this. Like, here's your opportunity. You have a choice to teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And oh, by the way, remember, Surely I am with you always. Surely I am what? With you, God with us. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Emmanuel means what? God with us, always with us. God will be with us, invites us. But the question is, will we be with God? That's our choice. That's your choice. Because the beauty of our God made manifest in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit is that we have a choice. And so today I ask you, will you, one, choose the easy path? Like just leave this place today and go on with your life exactly the same as you did before you walked in, living a by-the-numbers 21st century American life like Joseph was living the Jewish dream back in the first century. Or will you choose the hard path? Saying yes to Jesus and risking the public shame of living life differently than the commercials and the news and our neighbors think we should live it. But knowing that we will share in the joy of salvation when Christ comes again. That we will share in the joy of a salvation story that Emmanuel himself has invited us to be a part of. God has chosen to be with you. And now the choice is yours. Will you be with him? Will you choose Jesus? Amen? Amen.